This podcast is brought to you by Giant Food. And today, more than ever, they are committed to you because we are all in this together so we can continue to share the little things that matter. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Peace, everyone, and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting live from the lobby of The Line, D.C. This podcast is where dynamic people of color in the food and agriculture space share their personal food journeys, passions, and perspectives that stem from the land, all exemplifying the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. And welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting here on Full Service Radio. So y'all remember Chris Riddick of Afrobeats, right? Podcaster and urban gardener, bringing you all the garden-to-table content online into your inboxes. He's also taken over my Edible Activist Podcast before as well. I was able to catch up with him and see what he's been up to um, during Hashtag Rona. Y'all know he's always creating growing hacks for small spaces and amazing food dishes. Well, tune into this episode to hear about his latest garden container project, what he's been whipping up in the kitchen, vegan style. He also throws us some laughs on how to keep that COVID-19 weight gain down. That's probably for me. And then he lends us some words of encouragement during these unprecedented times. Tune in. Peace and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting here on Full Service Radio. For today's episode, I am extremely excited to have Jennifer Lumpkin, who is a farmer, community organizer, social entrepreneur, and voter advocate who hails from Cleveland, Ohio, with roots planted in Georgia. Jennifer also launched My Grow Connect back in 2016 that was designed to create an online space where growers could swap by requesting or offering neighbors space to grow, compost, swap produce, and share other valuable resources. And guess what her love language is? Food. Welcome to Edible Activist, friend. I'm so honored to have you. Thank you. I'm so honored and happy to be here. Thank you so much for thinking of me for this. I'm so excited. As I said before, this is this is a long time coming. You should have been on the show a long time ago, Jennifer. I know. I know. What happened? What's going on? Don't blame me. Don't blame me. Don't blame me whatsoever. <laughs> Always in my thoughts always in my thoughts and I totally miss you. And, you know, I, I definitely have to let the audience know, you know, that this, this really is a special interview to me because you, you are my friend in this space and 
Um, you have supported my work since day one. Like you were involved in, you know, pre-food talks and color, pre-edible activists. You know, you were at the events helping me to coordinate those at Uptop Acre Farms. You know, like you were there. And so um, I just really appreciate you. So you you were seeing this all come together before the podcast and before it's grown to much more than than what it was previously. And um, not only that, you were a supplier of my farm food girlfriend before you left us here in the DC area and went back to Ohio. And I miss it so much. I miss saying, hey, Jennifer, like what you got growing? You know, I'm going to come pick it up. I miss meeting you. Like I really, I literally do miss that. And, you know, especially coming from a, a Black, smart, intelligent, dynamic, you know, woman who is militant in her own right, you know, and just really just she you you just what you stand for is just really just so amazing and you're so rooted and I just I really do. I, I love that about you. So and, and your presence is missed. It's missed here. But uh, <laughs> that's my intro for you. <laughs> I'm beaming right now. If you can see my face, I like over overcome with joy. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Well, um, Jennifer, as I said, you know, before you, um, well, you were here in, in the DC area and you, you definitely have had a lot of, um, farming and, and growing experiences and had a whole journey here, which we'll definitely get to. Um, but the, the one thing that would, will always, um, stand out, um, about you to me, and I know others is, you know, you did a really, dynamic um, food talk um, actually for a session that I curated a couple years ago at Rooting DC. And, you know, one of the, you started out your food talk by saying you can't talk about food without referencing your family because that's a large part of your journey. And, you know, being in Cleveland and having, you know, family in the South and in Florida, that's a large part of your story, a large part of your food story. And so I definitely just want to go back to the garden at, at your parents' home in, in Cleveland and go back to your great-grandfather and what he used to grow and go back to um, the fruit that your aunts used to send you and just really mm-hmm. walk us, you know, briefly along along that journey, which has become your your food journey, but definitely acknowledging your family roots and history. Absolutely. I have to always start with my ancestors because their commitment, and I think it was an obligation that they didn't realize would leave a legacy, has fed me spiritually and it has informed how I've gone about organizing. Um, My great-grandfather was a sharecropper and his main crop in South Georgia Boston, Georgia, to be specific, were collard greens. And my family still lives on that land. And I have pictures of my aunt picking greens. Um, And I always had a vision of that being my life and going back to um, providing produce for my family, for my community. Um, and, And that tradition continued even after my grandmother and my grandfather got married and moved from South Georgia to Cleveland, Ohio, um, when they were living off 116th and MLK, they were part of a community farm. And that is where we continue to go and harvest 
bags of collard greens when I was younger and they bought their house in Warrensville and we still were receiving mangoes from my aunt who moved to Florida um, because my family had mango trees and coconut trees and we would get mangoes and coconuts straight off the tree and they would mail them to us in boxes. And I just remember that being the source of where our food came from was our family. And we had um, family friends who also had moved from Georgia and lived right down the street from us. And we would swap food and we would be growing in our backyards and we would go back to the South every year and they had chickens and we would get eggs. And it was just, it was a part of our culture and it was how we were fed and everyone was so healthy. And I remember, you know, seeing the decline in our family's health once, we um, got away from growing our own food. And it became very clear to me that that was the core of our of our connectedness and the core of our health. And I found it and deemed it necessary to bring that back to organizing. And, and that's really where my Grow Connect the platform came from. It was it was the need and the understanding that that connectivity was internal and it was getting away from all the external um, interruptions of, you know, these large market grocery stores and, and really trying to figure out like, what, why is this cancer, you know, coming into my family? Like, where is this coming from? And it's not our fault, you know? Um, And it's something that we had to continue and be really intentional about. And I knew that I had to be the generation that um, resurrected that concept and that idea, and it had to be revised in a way that was relevant and um, modernized. And that that's really where the work of asset-based community building came from and where the startup Migro Connect came from and trying to get people to understand that this is not just a technological advance in growing and sharing. It's an evolution of what we were doing and our ancestors were doing. And so that's really why I care so much about it. And we talk so much about food systems, right? Fixing the food system. The food system is broken. How to repair the food system. The food system isn't just, it's, you know, only set up for, you know, a a certain class level, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, one of the, the key things that I remember you, you also mentioning, you said the food system was in front of our house. You said mm-hmm. that's the only like I knew food through through my family, not through grocery mm-hmm. stores. Like the food system mm-hmm. was literally planted outside in our front yards. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and I then, just, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and I mean, I think because of segregation and because my family back then wasn't allowed to go into certain stores, it was almost like they were forced to do it, but it was something that was beneficial and it was a blessing in disguise. And I think we've gotten away from that and seen the stores as a convenience. And it's been kind of like put in front of us as sort of like something that, you know, once you have the ability to shop at a nice boutique grocery store, then you've made it. Um, when really it's the opposite. <laughs> right. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from your journey, um, so from Ohio to a number of other places, because you, you have, um, 
you've been you've been a few places, Jennifer, in New York and and you know um, there's some some other areas around, and um, you know you get to the D.C. area where you are you know become part of this amazing dynamic black and brown farming and gardening community. And that's how you and I met and how we connected. And so um, I know um, a few of those experiences were um, you being a part of Eco City Farms Farmer Training Program. Um, You even did a wonderful um, Brown Girl pop-up. And um, I know that you've done some work with UDC. You were even actually... um, you were part of a film. Someone even did a film on your work. I mean, so much. And so um, just kind of like for me revisiting, you know, those experiences because I, I, you know, had the amazing pleasure of just being able to collab with you, connect with you. And, but for others, this is, you know, visiting your, your farming experiences here in the DC area and just, you know, wanting to just getting your your view and just seeing like what was the some of the biggest things that you pulled out of being part of this farming you know collective and and hub here in the DC area absolutely I mean I can trace it back to the day that I took the afroecology series um, with Violet and Dom Xavier and learning the importance of ensuring that what you're doing is a movement and a paradigm shift. Um, And I know that the influence that it had on me really came into play when I was the farmer's market manager for EcoCity and really looking for vendors, specifically Black women, um, Asian women, um, women who were very intentional about where they sourced their ingredients for anything that they were curating. So um, Sashel from Posh Pack, Um, is a chemist. And I had never really had a close friend who was a Black female chemist. And how influential and how dynamic is that, right? Like, I love Sash. I love her and I love her products. Love her products. She's amazing. Absolutely. And then meeting Lauren as an artist and a farmer and working with her on ethnic and distribution at the UDC farm and understanding what it means to be a Black woman who lives abroad and starts a movement abroad and how that created just such a rich sense of connectivity um, because the global perspective for me really wasn't something that I was aware of growing up in Ohio. So getting um, this sort of collective of Black women who were all a part of a farmer's market that to some degree was pretty traditional and conventional. We were in the same location every week and we realized like we were not reaching our people no matter how much we promoted. We were like, you know, we need to go to our people. We need to go to the places um, where we have joy, where we exist um, and where we see that there's an absence of agriculture and um, natural and holistic living. So we pretty much were like, let's take this show on the road. We were like, we we got it. Like we, we're doing it every week. So let's just take this on the road. And that sort of ambition and drive, I think, was really fueled by the intentionality of looking for people who were aligned in their thinking. Um, and that is really what I think took the practice and the learnings from Afroecology into a movement. And it really actually created a new model for what 
farmers markets can look like, specifically when you remove the aspect of distribution and you actually are just taking the food to people, right? And that really maturated into so many different things like the after school program um, and actually having the kids grow their own food, but then also bringing all those farmers to the school and saying, you have black farmers in your community. So why are you going to these big box stores when you have a relationship with farmers who are here to ensure that you are not only growing mentally, but you're growing spiritually and that you have that level of connectedness. So I think Afroecology really informed and influenced how we created Pretty Brown Girl Pop. And I mean, even the name, it was just so authentically us. And people are still writing me now, like asking if we do Pretty Brown Girl Pop. Um, so it was so dope. It was so dope. And I have to say, you all, like, yeah, like, like you said, pretty, pretty, is pretty brown girl pop. Did I say yeah. it right? Yeah, you got yeah. it. I loved even just, I remember pulling up on y'all, right? And it would, and like you said, you, you all sought places where agriculture was missing, but in spaces of color, right? And I just remember pulling up and I can't even remember what event this was, but it just brought me so much joy to hear like Cardi B blasting in the, in the background, but I was able to like buy some farm food and get my stew. So many different people like on the street. We were we were literally like on the street. You we know? literally were, yes. Like, people rolling up like, oh, little kids, like I want this cucumber and I want, you know, I want this natural lip gloss. Like it was just so cool to see that we were a part of creating a new, a new vision. And people were like loving it. And I think Maisha is the person who um said, like, I want to make this cool. You know, and that whole idea of making it cool was like, okay, that is that is inherent to what we do without even thinking about it. It was just exactly. like this happened, and that was just so organic. I really appreciated that time. Yeah, awesome. And let me tell you, y'all. Oh my gosh, Jennifer worked her butt off at those markets, man. Which is no picnic in setting markets up and marketing them. I mean, you did. I mean, you have experience also just from the operational side too, Jennifer. Marketing, branding, and like getting the word out um, about a market, especially a new market. Like that was a lot. It was was a lot, but it wasn't work. It, it, it wasn't actually work. And I think, you know, going to university and learning, you know, public relations and advertising helped because it taught me what not to do. Uh, <laughs> because I think like, you know, like learning the traditional institutional ways is good when you're a resistor, like when you're, you know, a disruptor. So a lot of my practical knowledge came from like working at like TJ Maxx when I was in high school and, you know, like learning all the things that it takes to run um, an operation. But strategically, I mean, working with people who are aligned with you, it really doesn't feel like work. I mean, it felt really like a celebration every time. It was just so joyful and so filling. And it still it still is. It still is even just thinking about it. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I mean, and, you know, in, in talking about, um, you know, collective agency, um, especially amongst, you know, Black people, Black and Brown people, would you even, is that something that you have, and in, in, in also going back to, you know, creating these systems, you know, 
is this, would you have considered this a system that was working for us or working for you all to reach, you know, us, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it worked because um, we knew what was existing wasn't working. I mean, we saw the health disparities. I saw a lot of death in my family and we knew that there weren't a lot of opportunities for black farmers to participate. So what we were doing was we were creating channels for black growers to actually grow and thrive and have an audience. So the collective um, agency was, I think, illustrated by the fact that we were doing it ourselves. And we were also creating other venues and avenues and ideas for people to reimagine what it can look like to be a grower, what it can look like to be a chemist, what it can look like to be an artist. And it has to be collective because that's where the power is. So I think that, you know, the way that we we work together collectively, created agency, not just for us, but for others. Um, and I think the after school program was especially like helpful in informing that because I was able to hire people and bring them in and actually pay them and show them their worth and have them like assess their worth in a way that wasn't institutional, but it was self-actualized. So I feel like that was something that hadn't been created before. Um, and now that people know they can do it, the traditional means are pretty much obsolete at this point because we don't need them. Um, and I think that is, that is what I'm kind of taking with me in all the organizing I'm doing in Cleveland is saying like, you don't have to do it that way. You, your goal is to create as many options as possible. And when you're creating options, um, there's no limit to what you can do or what you can be or how you do it. So. And let me tell y'all, Jennifer is the queen advocate for get paid for what you do and what you do well. She does not play any games, okay? And I learned that a lot from you, Jennifer. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm organizing with the Jail Coalition and the the main part of my activism has been securing funding so that formerly incarcerated people can get paid to organize. Wow. And that is like, and that has been like the the, the biggest amplifier um, in all of my work is that the people who are most affected should be the people who are able to do the work and be compensated and make a living and not have to decide whether to fight for a cause or fight for their life. Like everything should be integrated. So I'm so glad you said that because it still resonates even like today. Absolutely. And let's, you know, let's just be real for another minute and be even more real for another minute. I mean, I remember even having conversations with you about this when you were here, because, you know, it's often where, you know, um, you know, our, our counterparts want to defer to us about what's happening in the food system and asking for our insight and our perspective and how we can do this and how we can do that. And here we are building, putting together a strategy without putting it together, you know, and laying down, you know, the, the, um, laying down the foundation and saying, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And your argument from day one was, Hey, where's the paycheck, you know? And, and, and it's often the ones who are affected, you know, are the ones who are doing the work and you're still being asked for your opinions and your perspectives and you're not writing a check. And you've always been an advocate um, since day one, since day one, day one. And I appreciate you for that. Appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate 
you know what? I think the piece that was always missing was our griot. Like we did not necessarily have a documentation of what had been done before in the way that you're doing it. And knowing that this will be transcribed and 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 live um, and have posterity beyond me is so fulfilling because it won't have to be redone from from square one. It can actually be referred deferred to. They'll have a reference, a point of reference. So this is this is amazing. Um, and I think that all of us collectively are doing our part, especially with um, food talks and color. So this is a, a primordial piece to all that as well. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Perfect Day, produced by Artists Authentic. For more of Authentic's work, visit allornothingstudios.com. This podcast is brought to you by Giant Food. Whether you are concerned about diabetes, heart health, losing weight, or just want to improve family meal times, Giant has a team of nutritionists ready to help you make the best decisions to meet your health and wellness goals. You can check out their personalized consultations online or by phone. Just go to giantfood.com nutrition, or they have nutritionists who are available to answer any of your questions at nutrition at giantfood.com. So Jennifer, I remember when um, when I first learned that you were leaving us and going back to Cleveland for all good reasons. And um, I remember our conversation to this day. And um, you know, earlier in the show, you had mentioned um, just seeing you some of your family's um, family members' health decline, and you went back home um, because you had um, a couple um, relatives very close to you who. Um, we're dealing with some health issues. And you said, Melissa, um, you know, I'm up here, you know, growing food, you know, making sure, um, you know, my communities are healthy um, and really advocating for food justice. And, you know, I can't do all this work and have, you know, relatives and family members back at back home in Cleveland who need me. And I have to return home to do the same work and make sure that, you know, my family is healthy and that mm-hmm. I'm feeding them. You said, I'm going home to feed my family healthy food because, you know, their health isn't really, isn't great right now. And everything that I'm doing here, I need to take back to Cleveland with me. And I remember that. And although I was sad that you were leaving because you have such a strong presence here, obviously it made so much sense that your family needed you. And so um, just want to talk about your transition back to Cleveland and girlfriend, when I tell you, it seems like when you got to Cleveland, you hit the ground running. I said, Jennifer does not play any games. She's involved in this and that. And I just, I, I just, I love it until this day, you know, again, I'm not there. I don't see your every move, but I'm like, this is Jennifer. 
this is Jennifer. Yeah. He's not playing any games. So, you know, I know that you do, you know, you are the organizer of all organizers. So, and I think no better person to ask and, I'm, and, and not to discredit all the other amazing organizers but because I know you, you know, um, we, there's always, there's all, there's, a lot of talk about community organizing and organizing. And so I, I want to get your definition from your mouth, your words of what you really feel like organizing is to you because you do a lot of organizing work. And then we definitely want to tap into a lot of the voter advocacy work that you that you and, and the residents of, of um, Cleveland have been doing hardcore, especially during the midst of COVID-19. Um, so, so yeah, let's, 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 let's chat about community organizing and what you feel like that means to you. Well, community organizing has deep roots in Cleveland. This is an organizing city because there's so many challenges that exist. Um, and I think that community organizing for me has actually meant putting your cause and your intentionalities to action. Um, and that to me looks like collective organizing, relational organizing, and ensuring that all of your actions are directly tied to your well-being and the well-being of those around you. Um, so I came here understanding that having my own land was absolutely just had to happen um, because I knew that I would not be dedicated to growing on someone else's land. So I purchased a home in November, moved in November 28th. Um, I actually live right down. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. I live um, literally like down the street from where Queen and Slim um, was filmed, which was like not, like super wild and it's historically black neighborhood um and i have a nice little homestead area that i'm cultivating as we speak and um i've essentially had a revolutionary move in from new york who wants to make change in cleveland as well she just moved in in on friday a couple of days ago. So my home, I feel, is an incubator. And my sense of organizing is actually putting that intentionality into action. So um, making my home a place that essentially is a cultivation of movement and change and um, a place that, to me, feels authentically revolutionary. Um, I know that sounds like militant, but also it's a place where I can evolve and where other people can evolve and learn. Um, and outside of my home being that place, I've really tried to like make sure that all of the movements that I'm touching, whether it be the jail coalition, um, democracy building and voting, um, has a sense of true, um, agency, but then also collectivism. It has to be folks working together and it has to be Black people centered in all of this. We are over 50% Black in this city. This is one of the few metropolitan areas in the country that is over 50% Black. However, we pull in a much smaller amount of revenue and funding from all of the money that's made in our city. So when I look at the agricultural landscape that exists in Cleveland, it mostly came out of philanthropy. 
And it came out of money that um, is privatized and is endowments from a lot of older white families. And I think that while that money can be a seed starter, it cannot be the main source of where our land um, is uh, procured from. So I really tried to be very intentional of making sure that what I'm what I'm honing in on, what I'm cultivating is self curated, is um, self-created. So I've been working so hard so that I know that when I have my babies and my babies have their babies, no one can take it away. Um, and that's how I feel about organizing. If we're doing the work ourselves, no one can pull um, the sheet from underneath you because it's coming from us. It's meant for us. Um, and that's what I really feel organizing should be about. No matter what the causes of the organizers should always be coming inherently from you. Um, and it should be guided by the well-being of yourself and others around you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You better say it. You can't take it from me. You can't. <laughs> you have to snatch this wig off before you take it. <laughs> and, that's, and Kevin, I know you know Kevin. Kevin's like one of my mentors. He always says, I can be paid. I can't be bought. And that has like run so true about every facet of organizing. Like I can be paid, but I can't be bought, you know? Um, so yeah, that's like Kevin, another. Kevin's a good dude. He actually is funny enough. I spoke to him last week. He's, he's, he's awesome. He's awesome. Shout out to Kevin. Shout out yes. to Kevin. That's amazing. Well, um, I also know that you've been, you know, you and a handful of, you know, um, residents and community members have been, you know, boots to the ground, um, you know, with, with, um, just advocating for, you know, um, like register to vote guys, like get those votes in and, you know, extremely important. I mean, we can have an entire episode Mm -hmm. just about voting rights and the history of voting and, you know, the, the, you know, um, why it's important in vote to important to vote. I mean, and I know that's something that's really that you're really passionate about as well. And that affects, obviously, you know, we talk about policy, we talk about land, you know, um, so many things that that's associated um, with policy and, and really um, us needing to to have our votes counted. And so mm-hmm. especially given these circumstances and, and times during COVID-19, what has it been like? And and because I know there's definitely this has been a blocker for some, and it's definitely mm-hmm. an issue that many folks are talking about. Um, but what has it been like out in Cleveland, and really just being boots to the ground with you know um, voting advocacy, and um, but in the midst of social distancing and with the virus that's taking yeah. over. <laughs> I mean, I would I can honestly say that. This virus has bred solidarity between um, the Black and Latinx and Asian communities. Um, It has really forced us to quickly recalibrate um, the ways that we initially thought we would be engaging people face-to-face into creative um, and I think culturally authentic ways, like Caravan, that was inspired from Puerto Rican movements. Um, We've also done um, multilingual hotlines where people can call us up and request 
their applications and we actually like hand delivered them to people and pick them up. So it's it's made us actually closer and it's made us work together in a way that we weren't able to do um, with the obstruction of the institutions that we typically would have to deal with because we're all in our own isolation and we can kind of pick and choose who we're working with when we're working with each other. And it's also forced us to keep our ears to the ground. Like we listen to our family, we listen to our friends and everything we're doing is much more culturally informed without the distraction of, you know, uh, traditional BOEs or um, state government. And, And they're asking us for help now. So it's really created this power shift um, and created, I think, a more social entrepreneurial aspect of how people are organizing and addressing the inequities. So we have a very low voter turnout. Our turnout is about 22% here in Cleveland across the county. Oh, wow. So it's very, very low, but it was exacerbated with the pandemic. I know about three people who've already passed away. Um, So people are dealing with mourning and loss. And on top of that, you already have um, folks who are disenfranchised because of redlining that happened in the early 1920s. And we are still living in those same areas Mm -hmm. and all of the iniquities in voting and who gets their ballot first, who gets it last, um, our mailing systems, our communications, digital redlining, people don't have Wi-Fi. So all of our challenges that have stemmed from historical and systemic racism have been exacerbated, but it's also made us even more tenacious, I would say. Like we don't we don't back down. So <laughs> y'all about that life, okay? So hard. Cleveland goes so hard. And I think that if anyone wants to see what organizing actually looks like in real time, they should come to Cleveland and spend 30 days here and you'll meet the most amazing, dynamic and tenacious people you probably meet across the country because it's necessary and it's needed. But the solidarity is, I think, what's come out of um, this COVID experience for sure. Wow. 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 And to think it may not even have even happened, you know, right. if such a pandemic, you know, didn't happen. I mean, it's unfortunate that we're losing lives, but, you know, there's definitely um, some good that is being pulled, um, mm-hmm. you know, during these times. So, mm-hmm. girl, you're going hard over there. First of all, you go hard alone. Okay. So I can only imagine Jennifer times like a hundred of y'all over there. Good grief. That's so dope. Well, we're going to close out in just a moment, but, you know, are there any like food projects coming up, any farming projects you got? I know I'm so excited, you know, about your home. Congratulations, your land, your little, your homestead. I'm so excited for you. Are there any other projects on the horizon that um, you want to share or that I'm just being nosy at this point? So I am officially starting to um, disseminate, allocate seeds, and do some education series around growing. Um, I am also working with a neighbor and lawyer friend of mine, a beautiful Black woman who owns a house right around the corner to start a soil composting 
project, I don't want to say business yet, but project where um, we're taking um, a lot of soil from um, abandoned homes and folks who are actually getting their gutters cleaned to see how we can um, really mitigate that soil and create um, black gold for folks using um, her father's business, his landscaping business. So we're in the midst of creating that as well. So there is a lot of stuff happening, but primarily getting my Grow Connect cleaned up because there are a lot of bots on there and that's going to be going in a couple of weeks. So folks can log back on. Um, I have an intern working on that and um, definitely come to Cleveland and check it out. Um, in person. Um, but the soil business will be up and running. It might just be a share source business. It might not even be something that makes a whole lot of cash, but we're looking to show people that people like us, everyday folks can actually start um, a social entrepreneurship with what you have at home because it's already inherent to who we are. These things happen in nature. So we're really trying to influence um, people's understanding of what it means to start um, a venture and how you can do that with your neighbors and your friends. So that's that is, that's so dope. That is so exciting. Okay. Two things I'm coming to, I'm coming to Cleveland to visit. So, you know, I'm, I'm coming. I hope I'm, I'm invited. You are invited. Come. <laughs> Thank you. And that soil, that soil adventure sounds so amazing. It makes me think of um, I have to shout her out passion Mary in, D- in Detroit from Detroit dirt Y'all go look her up. She is amazing. Just another amazing Black woman, you know, in the climate change activism space who is just like, you know, you know, turning turning this the soil into to black goal, as you said. So, mm-hmm. um, so 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 important. It's it's our it's like our main crop. So if our soil isn't taken care of, taken care of, then we don't have anything. So that is amazing. Jennifer, where can folks find you in the meantime while MyGrowConnect is still being updated? You can find me on Instagram. My handle is I am Jennifer Lumpkin. And you can also log into Instagram to go to MyGrowConnect. And both of those handles are active and working and I communicate regularly. So hit me up. Cool. All right. So I got a quick rapid fire for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bet. All right. What is your favorite veggie right now? My favorite veggie right now, um, I am actively eating and processing dandelion root. I don't know if that's a vegetable, but that's what I'm doing. That's what that's what it is. Dandelion root has been the source of of my favorite veggie at the moment. There you go, girlfriend. We'll take it. We'll take it. Okay. (laughs) What is your favorite fruit right now? Mango. Child, I murdered one yesterday. I murdered it. I murdered it. I, I, I killed it. I killed it. You didn't even know it was a mango by the time I was done with it. It was so good. Man. All right. Sweet, spicy, sour, salty, savory, or bitter? Savory for show. Love me some garlic and onion. Mm. Yum. Yum, 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 yum. Yes. You do, because I remember the stew you used to make full of garlic and onion, man. All homegrown. It's my favorite. I love it. Savory has got to be the winner. Definitely. All right. What's on your playlist these days? What's in rotation? Uh, Let me tell you. Okay. So revolutionary playlist includes Jamila Woods. Yes. (laughs) Wale. Yes. 
And Nina Simone. I'm oh, yes, Nina. Those are my time. Yeah, but Jamila Woods is like a hitter. Like, I, I have to listen to her. And then, um, what is her name? Gosh, darn it. Black Girl Magic and Two Bloods. Look up those two songs. I'm, her name is escaping me right now. But yeah, she's dope too. Can't I it. love that you call it the revolutionary playlist. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's part of my most recent um, community organizing action. We're doing a revolutionary playlist to talk about the census. So that's like at the top that's- of my mind. That's dope. I've been blasting a lot of um, Ari Lennox because I absolutely love her as an artist. She is amazing. She is amazing. Um, So yeah, I have to just put that plug in. Love you, Ari. Love you, girl. Jennifer, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. You know, I have the utmost respect for you, your work, your dynamic. And I, I just, I can't wait. There's so much in you. You're doing so much. And I like your name, like you're going to be honored. Like the city is going to honor you and like a ton of people. Like, I just see it. I just see it because that's just, that's just like, that's you. You deserve that recognition. Um, And shout out to the other amazing people who are boots to the ground as well out in Cleveland. So thank you all for listening and peace. Peace. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We are here live on Full Service Radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m., where you can catch today's episode on fullserviceradio.org, as well as iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to follow me at Food Talks in Color on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Are you an edible activist? Sure you are. Come join me on the show. I would love to feature you. Just shoot me a DM on the gram. Peace and blessings all. And remember, there is no culture without agriculture.